Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It's Friday, September 22nd, first day of fall. And I got to tell you guys, I mean, it's almost like clockwork. First day of fall feels like fall. Leaves are changing. Honestly, just a beautiful day here, about 68 degrees. I went on a nice run. I didn't just die of heat anymore or sweat my ass off. So that was that was pretty damn good. On a side note as well, I had an interesting dream last night. I uh, I dreamt that Doug Burgum, you guys know Dakota Governor. Sorry, I, I had to say Dakota for a second to think North Dakota. Christy Nome is South Dakota. I, I always get the Dakotas confused. So hopefully next time we do trivia, there's not a lot of questions about the Dakotas because I am not good at those. But anyways, yeah, I dreamt that Doug Burgum was the front runner of the Republican Party. I dreamt that he was beating Trump, and I woke up this morning going, I'm not a, like a Doug Burgum stan by any means, but good God, if Doug Burgum was the front runner in the Republican Party right now, I think we'd, I think we'd be doing okay. I think we'd be doing better than we're doing right now. But unfortunately, as we know, Trump is up like 50 points on Ron DeSanctimonious, and there's like 15% of the vote that is kind of split between like Chris Christie, Mike Pence, and Nikki Haley. Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, kind of Trumpy, but at the same time, like more immature, more annoying Trump, if that's even possible. So no, Doug Burgum, I think, is at like 0%. And if he's not at 0%, he's at like 0.1% or something like that. Today I want to... Well, I want to start by again talking about Nagorno-Karabakh, which is a region of Azerbaijan that has mainly ethnic Armenians in it. The Armenian government has basically pulled out all involvement in the region. Some say this is preventing another massacre in this ethnically divided region. Others think this could be the beginning of something new that could also be troubling, so I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about how Trump has kind of pissed off the pro-life movement, but I would argue it doesn't matter because it's a cult and it's Trump and he actually has some instincts that make sense. Then I also want to talk about Ken Paxton, Attorney General of Texas, and his sham acquittal uh, after his impeachment shows me a lot about where the Texas Republican Party is. A lot of corruption there, a lot of potential bribery. Ken Paxton is a bad man, and I worry he is going to run for higher office or try to be involved in another Trump administration. He's been on Tucker Carlson recently. Going to talk about all that. But first, Gavin Newsom again has been on the news or been doing interviews, I guess would be a better way to put it. And (laughs) he again is defending Biden, and he's actually making a better case for Biden than Biden actually is able to do for himself. And what I mean here is Newsom goes on these interviews and talks about Biden's record. He talks about the National Labor Board and raising, you know, sick time, raising vacation pay, raising overtime pay. He like that's just one example. But Newsom does a better job of defending Biden than Biden does himself. And of course, Newsom says he will not be running in 2024. Biden's great. Kamala Harris is great. He's known Kamala Harris for a long time, blah, 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 blah. And I'm getting a little bit irritated with this because Trump 2.0 is going to be a lot worse than Trump 1.0. And he's knocking on the door of a second presidential term. 
And I would I would bet the farm that it's going to be a lot worse than his first term. And that's why this sense of urgency is too little too late on the Democratic side. And I really think that they will look in this part of history, the tale from this part of history will be that the Democratic Party and the Democratic establishment could not see the forest through the trees. This already happened in 2016. They kind of got more realistic in 2020. But now it looks like they're kind of going back to that instinct. And if Trump gets elected again, the conversation will be about how the Democratic Party failed to recognize the threat. And I think Biden's been a fine president, but I would like someone else to run if I could have a choice. And that's why I think that it's insane that some of these qualified younger people like Gavin Newsom, you guys should check out my countdown episode I did last weekend, breaking down my top 10 Democrats. I'm just irritated that not one of them is willing to just maybe, you know, burn some bridges, but go out there and say, maybe I can do this. Of course, I would argue this should have happened like a year ago, but this is where we're at. But I just don't like the idea of not allowing debates. I think Trump should be required to debate. I think Biden should be required to debate. And for example, like I don't like RFK Jr. Marianne Williamson, I agree with on some things, but I also think she's a little bit too into the wooey, hippie, new world type of stuff, the manifesting culture, all that stuff. So I'm not a huge fan of her either, but I do agree with her on some things. I think Biden should have to debate them. I'm sorry. I actually think in a sense, maybe it could help calm down some of the hype that was going on for RFK Jr. if they could have a debate. Of course, it could backfire because we've seen Biden recently and <laughs> doing press conferences and they have to get out the Oscar bye-bye music, get the fuck off the stage music. But at the same time, it's not helping his case when he's not willing to debate literally two Democratic candidates that are running against him in the primaries. I just, and I, and I think the same is true with Trump. He should not be able to sit out the debate. This is a democracy. This is about discourse. This is about letting the people choose. And how can the people choose when Trump, Biden are not even willing to debate people running against them? I think that is a true travesty. And I also think it's kind of a travesty that Gavin Newsom or someone like him just doesn't run. I'm, I'm just saying it full stop there. Okay, let's get to foreign policy for a moment. I want to talk about Nagorno-Karabakh again. This is that, I guess you could say, ethnic Armenian enclave inside of Azerbaijan. And it's interesting because a, a pretty significant ceasefire has happened. From my understanding, it was brokered by, <laughs> this is a contradictory term, Russian peacekeepers. But it was actually brokered by, by the Russians who, as I've talked about, have had a pretty big influence in both Azerbaijan and Armenia for a long time. We have to remember Azerbaijan was a Soviet republic. And both countries are still technically close allies with Russia, though, as I'm going to talk about in a little bit, basically, Armenia is getting closer to the United States because it thinks Russia doesn't care. And I think that's good. But anyways, The Economist starts us off here in this segment. In quotes, on September 20th, the day after Azerbaijan launched an armed offensive against Nagorno-Karabakh, an ethnic Armenian enclave inside its own borders, a ceasefire happened. Under its terms, the, reason, the region's Armenian separatists agreed to surrender and disband, something Azerbaijan had insisted on for some time. The deal may have prevented a massacre on Europe's doorstep in a single day. This is because, on the days previous, Azerbaijan's drones and bombs had reportedly killed at least 200 people across the region. Images showed Armenians hunkering down in basements as sirens sounded over 
I might butcher this, Stepankaret, which is the regional capital in, um, in Nagorno-Karabakh. And getting into this, I've talked about this loosely on the old podcast. Drew and I talked about this. Uh, basically, Nagorno-Karabakh, right? Armenian enclave inside of Azerbaijan. And they've had like two decades of civil wars and border clashes. The Armenian forces have kind of been trying to occupy terri- uh, sorry, territories since the late 90s. Azerbaijan keeps trying to recapture territories inside of its own borders. The most recent happened in 2020, and it was actually quite a violent conflict with a lot of refugees fleeing the area. Russia has been highly involved in brokering this. Also, the United Nations, America, and a lot of our allies have also been heavily involved in this. But one way or the other, it's really not a good scenario. And what you do, you know, I mean, this is just a problem of modern of modern nation states in a way. Is that I, I, I am just kind of getting exhausted of seeing like these enclaves that have nothing to do with the country they're in and it leads to ethnic clashing and violence and sometimes genocide this this might sound crazy maybe this is my hottest take of the day but if i was the leader of a country and we had an enclave inside of us that was a different ethnicity to us and they kept wanting to fight back and leave i would probably let them <laughs> maybe i'm crazy there but that's my view and those that's my personal opinion of course but Anyways, of course, we have a war of words going on before this ceasefire happened. Azerbaijan called the assault an anti-terrorist operation, which was intended to restore constitutional order. I don't always think of Azerbaijan as a great constitutional system, but anyways, officials in Armenia, including Nikol Pashinyan, who is the, uh, the prime minister of Armenia, he said that this is actually ethnic cleansing against the Karabakh region, which is home to over 100,000 Armenians. And again, Azerbaijan points fingers, says the offensive was in part a response because of elections held in the enclave in September. Also, there were recent mine explosions that killed like six or seven Azerbaijanis, including four police officers. But... I would argue that this is what Azerbaijan has been planning for a while. They wanted to strike back. They wanted to kick the Armenian side back. And interestingly enough, Armenia has just kind of said, like, yeah, we're going to pull out and do a ceasefire. And Armenia has kind of been fascinating me a lot lately just because Armenia has been cooperating more with the United States, moving more towards the West. I'll get into more of those details in a minute, but I think the timing is just kind of fascinating. But anyways, um, another article in The Economist notes here, Azerbaijan now plans to reintegrate Nagorno-Karabakh. And this is, this is Hikmet Haziev, who is a presidential advisor, who said that. But I guess the question that I have, and a lot of articles I've read have, is that how is this supposed to happen when you have a very ethnically different group inside this region, is this a mass? Does this lead to like a massive exodus of the region's Armenians? Does it lead to ethnic cleansing, violence, genocide? I, I don't particularly know. And the problem here is Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan, basically refuses to offer the people any special rights or security guarantees. So to me, this sounds like the beginning of something bad. Because the Armenians are pulling out, so the protections are going to decline and then dry up eventually for a lot of the ethnic Armenians. And then also now you have the government wanting to reintegrate Nagorno-Karabakh into Azerbaijan. 
And I don't like the term reintegrate in this sense because especially when they're not giving any security guarantees, the rhetoric of the government is not about protecting the people or peace and calm. I don't see this going well. And I guess I would argue that maybe this ceasefire has prevented a massacre for now, but things might get much worse. And um, back to Hikmet Hajiev, who's the presidential advisor in Azerbaijan, he says it will just, he says about um, Nagorno-Karabakh, he says it will just be like any other region of Azerbaijan. If I was Armenian, I guess I would not feel particularly comforted by that, <laughs> by, by any means. Moving on, though, I think what interests me here is that Russia's been really quiet. Maybe part of the silence would be, you know, the Ukraine stuff and also the Wagner Group stuff and also the Africa stuff. Like, Russia's not having a great PR campaign and also Russia's kind of busy. But basically... According to reports, um, as Azerbaijan uh, massed its troops on the Armenian border and was talking about shelling Nagorno-Karabakh, Pashinyan, who a prime minister of Armenia, basically accused Russia of failing in its peacekeeping duties, which is a fair assessment from my side of this, for sure. And basically, since the 2020 war, which again, Drew and I talked about on the old podcast, it's still out there, you can check it out if you want to get a better background on that. Basically, though, since 2020, Armenia has constantly be, like, been kind of in an, a war of words with Russia. And understandably, Russia's been in a defense pact with Armenia, but has not really helped them out at all. It's left them out in the cold. It's constantly stayed out of this conflict, which to me makes sense because of Azer Azerbaijan's connections with Russia as well. So Russia's been, I know this is going to surprise you guys to hear, Russia's been kind of a shitty friend. Yeah, Russia's been a pretty damn shitty friend. What's happened though, and this is again why I question Russian foreign policy in general, is that yeah, when you have a defense pact with a country and you ignore it, don't do anything for them, they're going to go somewhere else. And Armenia is being drawn closer to America. The Economist notes here in quotes, the country recently hosted military exercises featuring a small number of American troops and has also turned to India and other countries for weapons. So if I was Russia and China, I'd not be too thrilled about this. But like I said, this is what happens when you don't hold your promises. And Russia doesn't hold its promises. It's a bad faith actor in every way possible. And, the, and this is actually something kind of fascinating too, by the way. Armenia has actually moved to join the International Criminal Court most call it the ICC. And this is a big blow to the Kremlin, to Putin specifically, because it's the ICC that has issued that arrest warrant for Russia's despot, Vlad Putin, as I like to call him. So that to me is actually very fascinating. And I mean, I, I think probably the most simple solution, at least on that side, is that Russia's busy and Putin has other worries and he just doesn't care about this because human rights and peacekeeping are not exactly the important thing for Russia right now. No offense, but it's true. <laughs> and getting back, though, to this ceasefire, maybe it's momentarily good because right now people are not going to die. But I think there's little to celebrate here. Basically, you know, Azerbaijani officials in Baku claim that the Karabakh Armenians are welcome to enjoy their rights extended to other minorities in Azerbaijan. The problem here is that there's been decades and decades of violence and bloodshed and just bad blood in general between the two sides. 
Also, then you include in historic trauma and modern wartime trauma, PTSD, all of the above that's been associated with the last wars and years of propaganda that's divided them. And I don't know if these two sides are going to be able to overcome this. I don't have a lot of faith in that happening. And there's someone, Lawrence Browers of the Chathman House, which, sorry, the, yeah, the Catham House, which is a think tank. And he said in, in quotes here, it's hard to see a scenario in which coexistence is possible. I find that probably true. And to get even a little bit darker before we move on, a former international criminal court chief prosecutor who is named Luis Moreno Ocampo, he has said in quotes here, there is a reasonable basis to believe that genocide is being committed against Armenians. Going on, he said, there are no crematories and there are no machete attacks. Starvation is the invisible genocide weapon. Without immediate dramatic change, this group of Armenians will be destroyed in a few weeks. And this was back in August, but the rhetoric is still growing. And I have a few Armenian friends that I've seen post on social media um, similar worries about there being some sort of event that could happen down the road. And I don't think the government out of Baku, the Azerbaijani government, are good faith actors. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious how the Armenian government responds to this. Because again, to me... It is interesting that they're joining or they're trying to join the ICC. They're getting closer to the United States, but then they also basically pull out of a region that's been contested for decades that has their own people there. It's very confusing to me. And I, I guess I'll note before we move on, the rhetoric I'm seeing out of Azerbaijan, as well as just the circumstance itself, reminds me a lot of what happened in Serbia and Bosnia and it's just this rhetoric of talking about an ethnic minority and using vile, dangerous infiltration, this type of stuff. It's not good. Anyways, I just got made aware that I need to get out of here sooner than I thought. So we're going to skip the Trump part about the anti-abortion people are all mad at him. Basically, you know, he said Ron DeSantis six week thing was stupid. The pro-lifers are now like kind of mad at him. Not surprising. Nothing will change. But anyways... I will talk about Ken Paxton and Donald Trump early next week. I, I have to get out of here. Something changed. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll end on that. But I, it is troubling what we're seeing going on in Azerbaijan slash Armenia. Hopefully, with Armenia trying to join the ICC and getting closer to the United States, hopefully that will be a positive and we'll see some actual change happen. Anyways... I have a busy weekend ahead, so don't expect a weekend podcast unless anything changes. Have a high school reunion, friends in town, lots of chaos. <laughs> and I will probably be tired on Sunday. So, yeah, next week. Anyways, have a great weekend. Enjoy the first day of fall, and I will see you guys later. Adios.